Section thirty of Shakespeare Identified. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Edward Kirkby, Warwick, England. Shakespeare Identified in Edward de Vere by J. Thomas Looney. Early Manhood, Part Three. Oxford had, at any rate, come home with his mind fully made up, to have done once and for all with Burley's domination. That he had borne with it at all seems to suggest that there had been about his personality something of that mildness of manner which dominating men are apt to mistake for weakness, a supposition to which the only portrait we have seen of him, taken at the age of twenty-five, seems to lend support certainly his poetry testifies to an affectionateness that might easily be so misconstructed when such men are at last driven to strike their blows have frequently a fierceness that comes as a surprise and a shock to their adversaries and oxford's poetry does indeed display a capacity for fierce outbursts we suspect that something of this kind happened in the present instance burley had adopted a policy in relation to oxford that the latter was not prepared to tolerate any longer, and, during the five years of married life, had passed from girlhood into womanhood. Her father had created a situation in which she must choose definitely between father and husband. The unravelling of the facts and their proper interpretation must, however, form matter for future investigations. Most writers agree that much of Oxford's subsequent conduct was dictated by determination to revenge himself on Burley for some reason or other, and that his plans of revenge included squandering of his own estates and separation from his wife. Castle Headingham in Essex, which Oxford had made over to Burley, we are told in local histories, was almost razed completely by Oxford's orders as part of his plan of revenge. How he could have raised a castle which was no longer his own we do not pretend to explain. We merely repeat in this matter what is recorded. The following two stanzas from one of his early poems are, however, of special interest in this connection. Quote, I am no sot to suffer such abuse, as doth bereave my heart of his delight, nor will I frame myself to such as use, with calm consent to suffer such despite. No quiet sleep shall once possess mine eye, Till wit have wrought his will on injury. My heart shall fail, and hand shall lose his force, But some device shall pay despite his due, And fury shall consume my careful course, Or raise the ground whereon my sorrow grew. Lo, thus in revenge of ruthful mind refused, I rest revenged on whom I am abused. Unquote. The old record suggests a political motive, the imprisonment and execution of his kinsman, the Duke of Norfolk, for Oxford's scheme of revenge. If, however, we may connect it with these verses, as we reasonably may, it is evident that the motive was much more directly personal to himself. If, moreover, we connected with these political matters, the time is carried back to the year 1572, the year immediately following his marriage. 
the disentangling of events and dates in these matters we do not feel to be sufficiently pressing to demand the arrest of our present argument without waiting therefore for these obscurities to be cleared up we may introduce now what has been the most remarkable piece of evidence met with in the whole course of our investigations a discovery made a considerable time after this work had been virtually completed and indeed after it had already passed into other hands this evidence is concerned with the play all's well the striking parallelism between the principal personage in the drama and the earl of oxford having led us to adopt it as the chief support of our argument at the particular stage with which we are now occupied this argument was carried forward to its present stage at the time when our discovery was announced to the librarian of the british museum what we have now to state was not discovered until some months later in tracing the parallelism between bertram and oxford we confined our attention to the incidentals of the play in the belief that the central idea of the plot the entrapping of bertram into marital relationships with his own wife in order that she might bear him a child unknown to himself was wholly derived from boccaccio's story of bertram the discovery therefore of the following passage in wright's history of essex furnishes a piece of evidence so totally unexpected and forms so sensational a climax to an already surprising resemblance that on first noticing it we had some difficulty in trusting our own eyes we would willingly be spared the penning of such matter its importance as evidence does not however permit of this speaking of the rupture between the earl of oxford and his wife wright tells us that quote, he open bracket, oxford close bracket, forsook his lady's bed open bracket, but close bracket, the father of lady anne by stratagem contrived that her husband should unknowingly sleep with her believing her to be another woman and she bore a son to him in consequence of this meeting unquote. open bracket writes history of essex volume one page five one seven close bracket the only son of the lady anne we may mention died in infancy thus even in the most extraordinary feature of this play a feature which hardly one person in a million would for a moment have suspected of being anything else but an extravagant invention the records of oxford are at one with the representation of bartram it is not necessary that we should believe the story to be true for no authority for it is vouchsafed a memorandum in the hatfield manuscripts to the effect that burley laid before the master of the rolls and others some private matter respecting this domestic rupture may however have had reference to this the point which matters is that this extraordinary story should be circulated in reference to the earl of oxford making it quite clear that either oxford was the actual prototype of bertram in which case false as well as true stories of the earl might be worked into the play or he was supposed to be the prototype and was saddled with the story in consequence in any case the connection between the two is now as complete as accumulated evidence can make it we hesitate to make reflections upon prospective dissensions 
but we feel entitled to assert that the man who does not now acknowledge a connection of some sort between edward de vere and bertram in all's well has not the proper faculty for weighing evidence having thus raised the peculiar situation represented in the play in relation to our problem we notice something analogous repeated in the relationship between angelo and mariana in measure for measure along with the fact that angelo specifies a period of quote, five years unquote, between the making of the marriage arrangement and the special episode the exact period between the date of oxford's marriage and the particular time with which we are now dealing fifteen seventy one to fifteen seventy six angelo also remarks quote, i do perceive these poor informal women are no more but instruments of some more mightier member that sets them on let me have way my lord to find this practice out unquote. with such possibilities of discovery lying in the play of all's well it is not surprising that after having first of all appeared under the title of love's labours one it should have disappeared for a full generation and then when the earl of oxford had been dead for nearly twenty years reappeared under a new name measure for measure is also one of the plays not published until sixteen twenty three although it had been played in sixteen o four the one thing that stands out clearly from all these events is an unmistakable antagonism between oxford and burley over which burley especially tries to throw a cloak of benevolence his next move is somewhat astute he seems to have given it out that the earl had been enticed away quote, by lewd persons unquote. there is no suggestion however that anne had left oxford or that burley had sought to separate them because of dissoluteness on the earl's part the facts all point unquestionably in the opposite direction for it was he who exerted all his influence to bring about a rapprochement when the mischief had been done there was therefore no question of protecting a daughter against a profligate husband and if his charges against oxford were well founded it is upon the character of burley himself that they react most disastrously for it is hardly possible to conceive a more despicable character than that of a father exerting himself to throw back his daughter into the arms of her dissolute husband when she had been delivered from him by his own voluntary act the probability is that burley himself did not believe his own accusation and that they were a mere ruse de guerre on the part of an unscrupulous and crafty fighter had he believed his own story he ought rather to have rejoiced at the turn things had taken the real root of much of the trouble it is easy to see was the control that burley attempted to exercise over oxford's movements the purely negative and restrictive control of a man whose exercise of power even in the greatest affairs of state was always governed by considerations of himself his family his own policy and his instruments to a man of oxford's spirit the position must have been irksome in the extreme and when we find the fact of his being held in leading strings pointedly alluded to in a poem of edmund spencer's 
it must have been specially galling if then oxford succeeded in making himself a thorn in the flesh of his dominating relative we should probably agree that the astute minister had at last met his match and got hardly more than he deserved lady oxford's fault was probably no worse than that of having weakly succumbed to a masterful father or rather two masterful parents ophelia's weakness then in permitting herself to be made her father's tool in intruding upon hamlet certainly suggests her as a possible dramatic analogue to the unfortunate lady oxford what is always upon uncertain ground in attempting to lay bare the facts which have lain behind the effusions of poets a note recurs in more than one poem of de vere's which seems to point to this trouble between himself and his wife from the dates given we judge them to belong to this particular time of crisis in his life and if the references is actually to the breach between them it would seem that notwithstanding the course he had been obliged to take there had been awakened in him an intense affection for his wife this is certainly the peculiar situation represented in the poems affection of the poet for one who had formerly sought him but who had become in some way at variance with him we give two stanzas from separate poems on this theme quote, o cruel hap and hard estate that forceth me to love my foe accursed be so foul a fate my choice for to prefix it so and so long to fight with secret sore and find no secret salve therefore unquote. Quote, betray thy grief thy woeful heart with speed resign thy voice to her that caused thee woe with irksome cries bewail thy late done deed for she thou lovest is sure thy mortal foe and help for thee there is none sure but still in pain thou must endure Unquote. Open bracket. As we shall have to refer to this stanza in dealing with the question of Spencer's Willie, we ask the reader to keep it in mind. Close bracket. These two poems, both published when Oxford was but twenty-six years old, are certainly suggestive of Bartram's reference to Helena as one quote, whom since I have lost have loved. Unquote. In the play of All's Well everything works out to a satisfactory conclusion in real life things do not always so work out and though oxford and his wife were ultimately in some sort reconciled we are assured that henceforth the relationship between them was not altogether cordial whatever view may be taken of burley's character and of the antagonism between him and oxford every record testifies unmistakably to the former's wish to exercise an unwarrantable ascendancy over the movements of the latter had oxford been an adventurer and a needy supplicant for court favour like raleigh or one desirous of political and diplomatic advancement like sydney burley's methods for holding him in subjection might have succeeded permanently at this time however there was nothing in the shape of wealth or social eminence which others sought that was not already his and ambitions after military or naval glory such as could only be realized through the cooperation of those in power he seems definitely to have abandoned after his return from italy 
henceforward his powers and interests seem to have been concentrated in literature and drama many of the poems from which we have quoted seem to have been published and some of them evidently written just about this time his letter to beddingfield so completely free from any suggestion of personal happiness was in fact written just at this time in view of the whole of the circumstances then it seems quite safe to say that he returned from italy being then close on twenty-six years of age with his mind finally determined on a literary and dramatic career in this he was in no way dependent upon the authorities and viewing the attitude of his powerful relative as a sheer impertinence he was at liberty to set him at defiance the path he had chosen was one however in which he might expect to meet with still greater hostility from burley though now the hostility would be more or less baffled and impotent his plans not being confined to those with whom he was in direct personal contact would involve a good deal of reserve on his side permit a similar amount of misconstruction on theirs and afford free scope for efforts at working the situation to his discredit this it appears is just what did happen the reference in shakespeare's sonnets to a time of special crisis when quote, he took his way unquote, has already been mentioned amongst the things which he kept quote, to his own use unquote, quote, under truest bars unquote, we may reckon the manuscripts at which he was working from a remark in one of oxford letters open bracket hatfield mss close bracket it appears that he was accustomed to take with him when going into the country important papers secured in a small desk his secret treasures would no doubt include all those italian plays and other important documents which we now know were freely used by the great dramatist in the composition of his works that de vere would bring back such things from italy it is impossible to doubt the number and expensiveness of the articles he brought home from his italian tour is dwelt upon at length and in much detail in the account from which many of our facts are taken it is almost absurd to suppose that he brought back all these goods and omitted to bring with him just those things that touched his own keenest interest most directly and it would be just such literary treasures that as shakespeare he would guard quote, that to his use they might unused stay from hands of falsehood in sure wards of trust unquote. footnote amongst complaints formulated against his father-in-law and wife oxford states that he had been refused possession of some of his own writings open bracket hatfield mss close bracket end of footnote the fulfilment of the purpose we suppose him to have set himself involved his throwing himself into those literary and dramatic circles whose character has been already described this is what we suppose burley to refer to in speaking of his being enticed away by quote, lewd persons unquote. it is remarkable however that although we have an abundance of such general accusations against him we have not been able to discover up to the present a single authoritative case in which his name appears in a discreditable personal connection notwithstanding the fact that through the records of those times the evidence of such affairs in the lives of eminent people is only too frequent and unmistakable 
by all the artifices by which an older man may seek to maintain an ascendancy over a younger one there is hardly any more contemptible than that of playing upon his regard for reputation and good name and burleigh in attempting to apply this method in bringing pressure to bear upon oxford was only employing one of his recognized stratagems in this matter we are again able to present the testimony of no less a witness than the poet edmund spencer the following passage taken from his poem quote, mother hubbard's tale unquote, dean church assures us is generally accepted as referring to burleigh quote, no practice sly no counterpoint of cunning policy no reach no breach that might him profit bring but he the same did to his purpose ring he no account made of nobility all these through feigned crimes he thrust adown or made them dwell in darkness of disgrace unquote. the last part of the quotation might almost be supposed to have direct reference to burleigh's special treatment of the earl of oxford himself whilst the character of trickster which spencer fixes upon elizabeth's great minister certainly meets us at more than one point in his dealings with his son-in-law indeed it appears almost as if it were a character in which he himself gloried as the following story which we quote from macaulay shows quote, when he open bracket burley close bracket was studying the law at gray's inn he lost all his furniture and books at the gaming-table to one of his friends he accordingly bored a hole in the wall which separated his chambers from those of his associate and at midnight bellowed through the passage threats of damnation and calls to repentance in the ears of the victorious gambler who lay sweating with fear all night and refunded his winnings on his knees next day many other the like merry jests says his old biographer i have heard him tell unquote. one who thus gloried almost childishly in his own low cunning was not the kind of man to stick at any quote, practice sly or counterpoint of cunning policy unquote, that he could quote, to his own purpose ring unquote. edward de vere was certainly quote, made to dwell in darkness of disgrace unquote. and no sane reading of shakespeare's sonnets can avoid the conclusion that shakespeare was one who suffered in the same way whilst no trace of contemporary disrepute has been pointed out respecting the stratford shakespeare even if burleigh had good reasons for believing that what he was urging against oxford was true it seems clear that the opportunist minister who Quote, winketh at these love affairs unquote, was merely striking at his son-in-law's reputation as part of his usual cunning that the attack upon de vere's good name had not only succeeded in injuring him but had cut him to the quick is evident from the poem on the loss of his good name that the plan did not succeed either in bringing him into subjection or in diverting him from his purpose is equally clear indeed it looks as if though at great cost to himself oxford had in a measure got the whip-hand over burleigh possibly the only man who was ever able to do this from this time forward his leading interests were literary and dramatic he became quote, the best of the courtier poets of the early days of queen elizabeth unquote. and in drama quote, amongst the best in comedy 
Unquote. Yet the only surviving poems known are a few fragments belonging mainly to his youth and early manhood, whilst of the fruits of the dramatic activity that filled the period of his life with which we are now to deal, no single example is supposed to be extant. Every line is supposed to have perished, quote, lost or worn out. Unquote. End of section thirty. Recording by Edward Kirkby, Warwick, England.